Welcome into episode 37 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman. Uh, coming at you this evening uh, from a bizarre location, I'm in an SUV parked uh, in a random parking lot at a campsite in northern Minnesota. Uh, I am on vacation, but uh, the Rattle Podcast must go on. So here we are uh, with episode 37, joined as always by Jeff Weiser. Uh, Jeff, how are you here on this Tuesday evening? I'm good. I'm in a um, in a home. Uh, I'm not necessarily in a parking lot at a campsite in northern Minnesota. Um, but considering how much I like fishing, I don't know where I'd rather be right now. Uh, <laughs> have you been fishing, Jesse? That, that's my first question for you. You know, you know, Jeff, it's kind of a long story. Uh, my family, obviously, we're sort of the Arizona outcasts. Uh, my mom's side of the family is pretty much entirely from Minnesota. And naturally, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, uh, pretty much everyone on her side of the family, they're all big fishermen. And then, you know, I originally being from Arizona, have basically never been fishing in my life. So, so we come out here and we do generally fish. I have yet to fish this time. We don't have a boat or anything, so it makes it a little bit harder for us to get yeah. out. But I have a very friendly uncle um, who is. We're probably going to go out here in the next couple of days. So I'll I'll keep you posted on on that, Jeff. We'll we'll see we'll see what I'm able to catch here in the next few days. Nice. Yes. Please do. Please do. I'll be uh, very excited to hear about this. Moving on to some Diamondbacks baseball. Oh, uh, yeah. Jeff, Diamondbacks uh, baseball. That's what we're here for, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I've gone ahead and and I think I can say without much hesitation, this weekend, this last weekend, was probably the best weekend of Diamondbacks yeah. baseball. Honestly, not probably. Yeah. It was far and away the best weekend of, of Diamondbacks baseball that we've had this entire season. There was sort of the... Uh, the giggler game on Friday night, or excuse me, that was Thursday night. The Diamondbacks won 12 to three over the Padres, just kind of a good old fashioned uh, pound down, which is something we haven't really seen from the Diamondbacks that much this year, obviously. Um, And then you follow that up Friday night fireworks at the ballpark and Dalton Varsho delivered some fireworks in the bottom of the ninth inning uh, with a walk off homer on. That was super fun to see. And then of course on Saturday, Tyler Gilbert, the Diamondbacks lefty, a name that many of our listeners probably hadn't even heard prior to this game. Tyler Gilbert went ahead and threw uh, the third no hitter in Diamondbacks history. Of course, we all know it should be the fourth because Madison Bumgarner should have counted earlier this season. Uh, but nonetheless, in the official record books, it is the third no hitter in Diamondbacks history. He became the fourth pitcher in MLB history to throw a no hitter in his first career major league start. Jeff, I think we both acknowledge, you know, the longevity of Tyler Gilbert and, you know, is he an ace in the making? That's a whole other conversation. But what we can all agree on here uh, in episode 37 of the Rattle podcast is that Tyler Gilbert had an extraordinary evening. Uh, It was incredible to see his family's reactions uh, throughout the game as they were in the stands watching Tyler Gilbert. And he delivered a no-hitter and gave us something to really cheer about in a season where, frankly, there hasn't been a whole lot to cheer about for Diamondbacks fans. Yeah, I mean, I hate to go back to to fishing, but this is why you should go fishing, right? Even if you didn't didn't grow up a fisherman, um, you never know what you'll catch. I mean, look at Tyler Gilbert. (laughs) The guy makes one career start and he throws a no-hitter. Absolutely incredible. Um, Just an awesome moment. Uh, you know, in a, in a season that hasn't had very many of them, 
Um, and there's this, there's this huge difference, right. Between, um, you know, like being unhittable and throwing a no hitter. And I know that that may sound like semantics, um, <laughs> towards the end of the game, it seemed like Tyler Gilbert was just throwing like mid to upper eighties cutters, like down the middle and just <laughs> letting people hit them. Um, I don't care. Like that was still awesome. Um, yeah. and I still think that was so great. So, um, I'm super, super happy for him. Um, happy for the team. Uh, just a, just a magical moment. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that has drawn me to baseball so deeply over the last, um, I guess, you know, 12, 15 years of my life is that baseball is weird. Um, yeah. and weird stuff happens. And I, I love stats. I love, um, predictability. I love averages. I love being able to sort of suss out meaning from numbers. And I also love that some nights you just come to the ballpark and something totally wild and weird happens. And that's mm. cool too. So yeah, it was great. I think Jason Stark said it best, like right after the game ended, he tweeted out, you know, it's something along the lines of Zach Granke, the Diamondbacks ace, you know, for a long time, of course, and really an ace for a number of teams throughout his career. He has made almost 500 career starts uh, in his major league career. He has never thrown a no hitter. And Tyler Gilbert, this like no name. uh, I don't know if we even can call him a prospect. He was 27 years old, you know, here in his rookie season. And and he goes out and he throws a he throws a damn no hitter in his first outing yeah. in in uh in his major league career. And it's just as you said, it's just part of the the beautiful craziness of baseball that you just you absolutely cannot predict baseball as the saying goes. And we saw that in its full glory on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, just the beauty of it and, and the beauty of the randomness and um, the human nature of the moment, you know, I, I, I sort of love seeing his pops like up in the stands, just kind of having the, like, you know, having the, the sort of out of body experience, you know, yeah. through his kid, oh, man. um, you know, you know, those two have, you know, have had their, had their times and when, you know, things have maybe been rough for Tyler as a pitcher and, um, you know, to be a, you know, a, a rookie, um, when you're 26, 27, 28 years old, you know, that that tells us something um, about, you know, the struggle and difficulty that's led to him, you know, arriving there, you know, despite his age. And um, I would assume that there have been a lot of hurdles for him. And so that was probably a really special moment. Um, I loved how just, you know, that it, that it wasn't Zach Ranky that did it. Um, it was someone who, you know, and I'm not trying to take any shine away from Tyler Gilbert. He's obviously extremely good at throwing a baseball, but you know, there's something that seems very human about someone who maybe isn't, you know, the the superstar um, right. that can still pull off the amazing accomplishment. So, um, yeah, just like an absolute total spectacle. And then, like, sort of low key, I thought it was super rad that the the D-backs uh, team account was posting some photos from the clubhouse after the game and the guys were all celebrating with some Coors lights. And I was just like, man, you know, like <laughs> in baseball, you know, after like a, a, you know, an amazing night, the guys are just, you know, having a few cold ones with the boys and, uh, and celebrating. So, uh, it, it seemed cool. It seemed like it really kind of lifted everybody's spirits. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, it was also part of, 
you know, what turned out to be, you know, or what it was kind of the culmination of what was like a, a pretty nice little run there against the San Diego Padre team that, you know, even got, you know, um, you know, that they, they're still in the thick of a, of a playoff race. So it felt good. And it wasn't just Tyler Gilbert. I mean, there was a lot that happened over the weekend. I mentioned, you know, Dalton Varsho's walk off home run. Yeah. I also think we need to mention that Dalton Varsho was the guy who caught this no hitter, which obviously he played a substantial role in this too. And yeah. Tyler and, and Dalton Varsho has only made, I believe that was his 27th career start at catcher. So, you know, between Tyler Gilbert, who had never had, you know, a major league uh, outing as a starting pitcher and Dalton Varsho, who is only catching his 27th game in the big leagues, just the combination of that level of youth doing what they were able to accomplish was was pretty incredible. Um, and there were there were some other things, too. I mean, Varsho hit the ball well over the weekend. Mm-hmm. He wasn't alone. Josh Rojas had just an absurd series. Uh, I think he wound up 10 for 17 or something ridiculous like that uh, over the weekend. He continued it today. Actually, the Diamondbacks had just beat the Phillies three to two, like about an hour uh, before we started recording here. Um, he had another another big game there. And uh, it, it, the list kind of goes on here, Jeff. I mean, Rojas and Paven Smith has been playing well. Josh Van Meter had a big game today. He started to look a little bit better of late. I think a lot of Diamondbacks fans, even though, you know, this season has obviously not been what people have hoped for, you, you can kind of start to see a little bit of hope on the horizon for this baseball team as some of these younger guys start to kind of come into their own and show us what they might be able to do, uh, not only right now, but as they can continue to improve and and move forward into the future with this baseball team. Yeah, I think the the biggest concern really heading into, you know, I guess the second half of the season or certainly post All-Star break is we knew that some of these younger guys were going to continue to get more and more playing time is like, what happens if you you know, move a veteran or two, create an opportunity, create some space on the roster and give some guys more at bats or uh, an extra start or some more relief appearances. And what if they just flounder? Um, yeah. You know, that's kind of scary. Uh, and I think um, that little bit of unknown, like we typically get excited about, you know, the prospect that comes up and we can't wait. You know, what happens if these guys who, you know, I think they're really kind of post hype, uh, post prospects at this point. Um, most of them have really graduated and lost their prospect eligibility. I mean, these aren't young pups anymore. Like it's time to kind of do their thing. And I think fortunately with the guys that you listed, they're showing up, um, yeah. they're showing up on a nightly basis. Um, there seems to be some real sort of tangible growth here. Uh, it's not necessarily a flash in the pan kind of night, uh, here and there, there seems to be a little bit of staying power. Um, and there might be some things that we can dig into and kind of find um, some like process oriented things where sure it looks great in the box score that someone went three for four um, or that they, you know, uh, racked up 15 hits in a week. But we have to kind of figure out why that happened. Like, was it luck? Is it, you know, right. is it just some some good fortune or something really happening? And I think in the case of some of these guys, it's actually like there's something tangible happening, which paints a much better picture um, going forward. Yeah, well, let's jump into uh, some of our listener questions. We have a lot. <laughs> and yeah. so I don't think there's any reason to, to beat around the bush here. We'll just kind of ride these questions. I think we're if we answer these, we're probably going to hit on just about everything we would want to anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to jump straight to um, at Vivero Sports. 
um, also known as the world's unhappiest fan on Twitter. Hopefully we can make uh, your life a little better here, here this evening in this episode. Um, but he says, we know Paven and Rojas are having great seasons, uh, but what are your thoughts on Van Meter and Varsho since the All-Star break? Sort of along the lines of what you were just saying, Jeff, we know mm-hmm. that these guys have, have improved and, um, and, and this listener notes that. Um, and he wants to know, what do you see in their future and uh, would it affect any future prospects or current players? So looking specifically at Van Meter and Dalton Varsho, the numbers are starting to look a little better uh, here over the last couple months. Jeff, I know you've you've uh, looked into this a little bit. What have you found? Yeah, I think um, the season lines still look pretty bad. Um, so sure. if we kind of yeah. pull up, uh, you know, you know, what's the season line look like? Um, not very good. Um, but I did kind of dig in and I was a little concerned about using the all-star break as a cutoff point. I mean, any cutoff point really is, is pretty arbitrary. Um, but I want just a little bit bigger sample. So I stuck with July 1st, um, as sort of the cutoff point. And so, uh, kind of take the two guys. I mean, I think for Van Meter, um, since July 1st, he's hitting 271, 319, 482, which is pretty good. Um, yeah. it's like above average big league production. How many? Do you know how many at bats or plate appearances that is? Yeah, that's in ninety-one plate appearances. Um, and so mm. in that time, if we think, you know, uh, the whole month of July, which there was an all-star break, so there's a little time off there. Um, right. And then the first half of August, that's ninety-one plate appearances. Things are better for him. Um, he's still striking out a lot, almost thirty percent of the time, and he's not walking as much as he had been before. Um, but that is like extremely better production than what he had before July 1st when he hit 165, 300, 264. Um, He was walking a ton with the same strikeout rate. And if you kind of look like at some of his uh, swing tendencies and whatnot, um, he's just swinging more. He's been more aggressive since July 1st. Um, Mm -hmm. So in that sample of time, um, he's just, he's just swinging the bat more Um, plain and simple. And the walks have cut been, you know, cut down as a result. Um, but the strikeouts haven't necessarily gone up and the production has. So you might be seeing something there where maybe they identified like, Hey, you know, um, you, you got to swing the bat. Like we got to get the bat off the shoulder. Um, and you start getting good pitches, need to quit waiting, like need to start punishing them. Um, and for some of these young guys, I think that can be a little bit of an adjustment, um, especially in the majors where they're going to get challenged. And when they scuffle, like they, you know, a guy like Josh Van Meter has early in his career, pitchers are coming right after him. They're not dancing around the zone. Um, yeah. They're going to come right at you. So that's been an interesting trend. And then for Varsho, um, you know, using the same cutoffs um, in 101 plate appearances since July 1st, he's in 271, 386, 529. Wow. Uh, walking almost 16% of the time, striking out almost 21% of the time. So a really nice mixture there. Mm. Um way better than before July 1st. And he was hitting 145, 243, 194. Um, I think it's interesting to note that before July 1st, so if we take all of April, May, June, um, in those three months, he had 70 plate appearances total. Um, and in the last month and a half of the season, he's had 101. So mm. I think we can really see that there really has been a commitment um, to more playing time Uh, And allowing him to kind of get comfortable. I know in our last episode, I talked about um, him sometimes not looking decisive um, or looking maybe a little in between. um, Right. Just some decisions maybe being a little questionable. You look at that ball he hit out 
uh, for the walk off on Friday night. That was a hanging breaking ball by Craig Stamen, who's a veteran relief pitcher. And man, I mean, he saw it like there was no hesitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just really looked like that was a that was a great moment. Like he hit it. He kind of took a couple slow steps and was like, oh, yeah, that one's that one's not just going out by a little bit. That one's going out a lot. Yeah. Um, and that was really great. So I think, you know, that's kind of interesting. And he seems to be swinging a little less um, specifically at pitches in the zone, which seems interesting in this time. But that might tell us that maybe there's something even within the strike zone that they're asking him to look for something maybe specific. And so there might be even some borderline pitches or some strikes that he's letting go because he knows they really aren't the kinds of strikes and balls in the zone that he wants to swing at with two strikes, you know, maybe he has to protect and do something different. But outside of that scenario, seems like he might be being a little more selective, looking for stuff he can drive. And that would seem to really line up with um, the production he's had. Yeah, and I think we we kind of glossed over Paven Smith and Josh Rojas there, and we don't necessarily have to delve deep into that. But I also want to just point out, I don't know if you know we've confirmed that Paven Smith and Josh Rojas are you know established players who are you know clearly here for the long haul. Although I think they're certainly on their way to that. Uh, Josh Rojas has a BABIP of three seventy right now, <laughs> uh, which for those of you who don't know, BABIP is batting average on balls in play. And it, it certainly fluctuates from player to player. League average is usually around 300, Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, something around yeah. there. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, so so normally uh, kind of the league average hovers around 300. And some guys are going to be above that and below that depending on how hard they hit the ball. Uh, generally faster guys have the ability to get a little higher because they're able to beat out more of those, you know, infield grounders and whatnot. Uh, but frankly, at, at least as far as I'm concerned, Jeff, I don't know if we have reason to believe that 370 is like anything remotely close to sustainable for Josh Rojas. Um, and so I have some some questions there, not to say that he hasn't had a great season. And I mean, it's hard to argue with the results that he's gotten lately. Uh, but don't I wouldn't count Paven Smith and Josh Rojas as being, you know, like light years ahead of Van Meter and, and Varsho. I think. I think all of those guys still have, you know, a lot of strides to take forward in their career. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and one thing that's, you know, I guess um, none of them are specifically like quite young. Um, they're yeah. younger players and they're newer to the Diamondbacks, um, but none of them are like 20 years old. I mean, this is not these are not like Fernando Tatis Jr. players who are, you know, putting big league results together as, you know, teenagers or 20 or 21 year olds. So. Um, so that's something to take into account too. And yeah, I think there's still plenty of growth left. Um, you know, they're all sort of pieces that it looks like if they can take a step or two forward, um, these may become kind of like big league regular guys. Um, yeah. but they all probably have a little bit of a step to take to do that. I think of guys that maybe I'm least confident in that role. I'm probably least confident in Josh Van Meter maybe being that person, but you look at a, someone who has some like multi-positional flexibility um, who may be able to do some nice things with the bat. Um, that's still a valuable piece to have, especially at the league minimum and under team control. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a guy like, um, you know, Dalton Varsho. I mean, just his athleticism alone and some of the defensive positions that he can play. Um you maybe feel pretty good about the strides that he's taking. And man, if, you know, if he can just kind of 
you know, take one more step forward and just kind of lock this in and eliminate, you know, I'd even sacrifice some of the peaks if I could get rid of the valleys. Yeah. Um, in production. I mean, that's a nifty, that's a nifty little player. Um, Paven Smith kind of feels like a guy who's, you know, a, an outfielder that you love to have on your team, but isn't someone you maybe count on all the time when you're a, a real contender. And Josh Rojas, I'm not quite sure yet, but certainly looks like he has plenty of room to to stick around as um, as a regular for now. And so these guys are going to keep getting opportunities. And, um, you know, I'll just go back to where I started. But, man, I was a little nervous that what if they didn't show up? What if they didn't produce? Mm. Um and luckily that has not been the case. Um, so I feel a lot better about that now. I think you touched briefly on the positional flexibility in that group. And I think that will, that will yeah. keep those guys around in baseball for, a, for probably a long time, even, even if they're, yeah. you know, even if things don't pan out the best and, you know, they don't become everyday regulars on the diamondbacks, you know, I mean, Dalton Varsho can catch and play center field, and yeah. Josh Van Meter, you know, plays a bunch of positions. Josh Ross plays a bunch of a bunch of different positions. I'm not sure if Paven Smith should be playing a bunch of different positions, but uh, but he certainly has. And maybe there's a case to be made mm-hmm. along those same lines with some of those other guys. But nonetheless, uh, I think that will certainly work in their favor. Um, something I want to kind of switch gears over to uh, the Diamondbacks recently promoted several guys in their farm yeah. system that I know has caused some buzz. Um, outfielder Alec Thomas and right-handed pitcher Luis Frias. They were both promoted uh, to AAA Reno. They uh, both coming over from AA. Uh, Brandon Fad, uh, who is a guy that we actually got to watch pitch in person uh, just a couple weeks ago in Hillsboro. He was promoted up to AA as well as outfielder Eduardo Diaz. Um, I'll start with a question here. Jim Marshall wanted to know, will we see Frias promoted to the big leagues in September? I'm sure people are maybe wondering the same thing with Alec Thomas. Jeff, I think uh, I think we're probably pretty safe to say we'd be, we'd be awfully surprised if that happened at this point. Yeah, I think there are some things that work uh, maybe in favor of Luis Frias, um, you know, getting that cup of coffee. And then there's some things that kind of work against him. Um, you know, he is on the 40 man roster already, which helps tremendously. And I know that there's been some sort of chomping at the bit, especially around a guy like Alec Thomas, right? Where, um, I think a lot of people are excited to see him, but at the same time, he's not on the 40 man roster, which means, you know, the team loses the opportunity to retain someone else, um, in order to add him. So, uh, that's, that's a tougher call, but for free us, he's already there. So that, that helps. Um, and I think with Frias, I mean, he's had, he, he's, I'll just be honest. He surprised me a bit in his ability to continue as a starting pitcher this far up the ladder. Mm. Um, there's always been a good little bit of relief risk in his game. Uh, command has always been sort of the weak spot. The raw stuff is pretty good. You're looking at, you know, three or four pitches that are average or above average. Um, but the, the command itself always made things a little difficult. Um, but he's kind of hung around in that role. And this is, you know, I know at times, even you and I, we've been a little critical about not moving guys to the bullpen faster. Um, you know, they haven't, and it's actually kind of worked out here for Frias. but, um, I would still love to see him maybe tried out in that role. Yeah. Um, so instead of kind of scraping by as a sort of fringy, a uh, starting pitcher who has some really good nights, but some really bad ones too. Um, it might just be, uh, you know, 
best served on, on all fronts to, to move him to that relief role. So I'd love to see that. Um, but I think one of the biggest risks um, that might keep him from doing that is that he might hit kind of his like innings cap before September. Mm. Um, this is a guy, I mean, remember we're coming off a pandemic, we're coming off a year in which guys didn't, uh, especially pitchers didn't throw as much. Um, and he's dealt with injuries at times previously in his career. So he's already set a career high for, um, innings in a season. And I am just really concerned that, that they may not wish to go a whole lot further, um, pushing him for a September call up. Um, just for fun. I think the risk of, you know, um, some kind of injury, you know, probably outweighs just wanting to see the raw stuff on the major league stage. So, mm. um, yeah, they, I, I, I don't know how they'll, how they'll go, but, um, I tend to assume they'll take sort of the conservative front, especially in terms of health. Yeah. On the Alec Thomas front, I think we would all love to see that. I mean, he's, I think Alec Thomas is probably the most legit prospect the Diamondbacks have called up in in probably a very long time. Dalton Varsho was maybe up there. He was a, a pretty well-regarded guy when he made the move to the majors. But Alec Thomas is, I don't want to say he's a sure thing. No one is in, in this league. But he's a guy who a lot of people feel pretty good about sticking around at the big league level for a long time. Um, you know, he's a left-handed hitter. He plays center field, has a good chance to stick there if he needed to. Um, and he just kind of does everything. He can steal bases yeah. occasionally as solid speed, um, can, you know, can hit for average, takes his walks, has some decent power, maybe a little bit more gap power right now, but, you know, could hit 15 to 20 homers some seasons. And I think a lot of people would love to see that, but uh, maybe next May, it seems like a, yeah. a reasonable timeline for him. Yeah, I think that's probably more realistic. I just I don't think they're going to make that move in terms of the 40 man um, this season on his behalf. And even come next year, you know, uh, you know, service time manipulation kind of being what it is. We don't know what the new CBA is going to say. Um, we don't know really what baseball is going to look like come next spring. Um, but it's safe to say that at least under the current operating procedure, um, you know, it's unlikely he'd even break camp with the team. So. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think what you're getting at is, is true in, in, in quite a sense, just because the floor with Alec Thomas is so high. Um, he may not have the, the highest ceiling of, of anyone in the system. Um, I don't think anyone, you know, we'd look at like Jordan Lawler, who is, you know, just selected by the team and, and sort of the sky's the limit there. I think Alec Thomas's, you know, ceiling is, as, is as a very good, like all-star caliber, outfielder um but the floor like there isn't a lot of threat that he's going to fizzle um he just brings too many skills to the table um to not be useful in some way so yeah i think i think you're right on but yeah the timeline for a guy like alec thomas is definitely going to be pushed out and those guys had their spots taken in double a by brandon fad and, and outfielder eduardo diaz i know uh, diaz in particular is someone who um, I don't know, Jeff, has your opinion on him changed? I know for a while you uh, maybe weren't so high on him, but lately, I mean, he hit, what was it, like eight home runs in, in like two weeks or something like that. It was a crazy run from him recently. Uh, what do you have to say about the the future of a prospect that a, a lot of fans might not have, have actually heard of in, in an outfielder, Eduardo Diaz? 
Yeah, it sort of like popped up on a bunch of radars, which I guess tends to happen when you hit eight home runs in 14 games. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, funny how that works. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, in some regards, um, you know, it's a, it's a super cool moment. He's been a Diamondbacks prospect for a really long time. He's had some stints, and I, I recall back when he was in Missoula here several years ago that he performed pretty well, but he lost some time to injury. Um and has kind of stalled, frankly. And I mean, there's a 24 year old who was, you know, um, you know, finally having a nice little run here in high A, but, but 24 is, is kind of old for that. So, um, it's good that he's going to get a shot at double A. I think the scouting report on him has always been that the, the swing is kind of short and choppy. Um, he's not an especially physical prospect. Um, he won't really wow you necessarily defensively. Um, it's it's not um and, and and the power output um you know would sort of suggest that maybe he's this large hulking human uh who just you know bashes home runs <laughs> on a you know every other game basis but um that's not quite who he is physically either so um it's it's been a it's been a neat a neat time but he's not someone who i have especially high hopes for being um, like a regular contributor for the Diamondbacks down the road. But I mean, also he just did something that was pretty unique. So um, maybe there's more there than meets the eye. Maybe there are some more improvements that, that have been made and more to come. So you kind of remain optimistic, but um, he was sort of off the radar for a reason. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of where things stand with him. Moving on here to uh, Kyle Collins. Um, Kyle is curious about Seth Beer. Um, he says following his last month, what is the expectation for him the rest of this year and going into next? Could Christian Walker be on his way out after this season? Uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, the team so far is has seemed almost almost excessively committed to Christian Walker. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of feels like there's got to be something up there. I know you were telling me this the other day that you suspected this, Jeff, that maybe they're Maybe they're trying something. Maybe they're, you know, feeding him some information, trying to get him to, to change something about his approach at the plate or something. Uh, but they've given him a lot of reps lately. And meanwhile, Seth Beer has sort of been crushing uh, in AAA, which, of course, you always take with a grain of salt, just given what we know about um, about Reno and, and just how guys tend to hit there with with the, the environment. Um, but nonetheless, it sort of feels like kind of a, you know, a slam dunk moment to call on Seth Beer and give him a shot. Christian Walker hasn't exactly done anything this year to really prove, you know, prove that he deserves this spot in, in the long term. I don't know if I'm ready to say Christian Walker is on his way out after this season, but I think it's certainly, you know, a valid question. I mean, if if Christian Walker is... Um, I mean, this season is has sort. I mean, he's looked like a completely different guy in, in a lot of ways. It's not just that you know he's not getting on base as much. It's that he basically isn't hitting for any power at all, uh, which is something that I didn't really expect. I wondered if you know maybe Christian Walker wouldn't be able to maintain a, a decent batting average at some point in his big league career, but. I didn't really expect the power to drop off on this level. He's not really been able to keep a slugging percentage anywhere close to 400 uh, throughout the year. And that's obviously going to be something that that you're looking for uh, out of a first baseman. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if we necessarily feel like Seth Beer is is the long-term answer either, but it sure feels like he probably warrants a shot at this point in the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Um, 
yeah, I'm there, I think, in that regard. And, you know, Walker, I think, always was um, – I guess I would, I, I guess I would maybe label him as uh, a low end first base alternative. Um, he was never, you know, it was, it was never forecast that he was uh, going to turn into Freddie Freeman or something um, that just wasn't in the cards for him. The power was always a little bit on the light side, um, you know, based on how, based on some, you know, maybe traditional, um, you know, sort of first base production metrics, but um to your point, I mean, Seth Beer, and, and I've been a little maybe underwhelmed at times with, with his production in AAA. He has turned up the heat um, somewhat considerably as of late. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's, uh, sn- you know, sniffing that, he, you know, this this might be coming for him. Um, but he looks like someone who is really ready to sort of, you know, starting to really, I guess, maybe more officially make that push. So uh, it looks like, you know, he's kind of positioning himself well. Um, and Walker just, you know, just is kind of failing to, to turn things around in any, any meaningful way. Um, and I know we were sort of talking perhaps offline about that and just, you know, kind of why, why they're continuing to give him those opportunities. You know, I tend to think there's a reason for these things. Um, they don't happen in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder if there isn't some sort of adjustment um, something that they're working on with Christian Walker and they want to find out if it's going to work before they, you know, cut bait and pull the plug. Um, so I, I think there's something probably happening there um, in order to, to just give him every last opportunity to prove that he really belongs. Um, but Seth beer is actually starting to knock on the door kind of more in earnest uh, and and really prove that that time is time is kind of ticking, uh, and he's going to need a look. I think the hard part again is that he's not on the forty man roster. That's going to mm. necessitate a move. Um, I don't know if you want to just outright release Christian Walker and let Seth Beer fill that spot, or you want to make some other kind of move. Um, yeah, not really sure how they want to handle that, but that does complicate the situation a little bit. So um, not quite so cut and dry there. And the last thing I'll add is that with the the CBA expiring at the end of the year, you know, it does sound like there's more and more momentum that a universal DH will come into play. Mm. Um, Seth Beer is uh, even for a first baseman, not particularly fleet of foot. Uh, might be the way that <laughs> I'd put that. So um, he may be sort of a like a guy you just kind of stash and hide until you have a good feeling that you're going to have a DH next year and you'd just rather have them do that. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. That actually, I didn't realize he wasn't on the 40 man. That makes a lot of sense that maybe the team is genuinely kind of fighting with the idea that they might, they might need to release Christian Walker outright in order to, in order to bring Seth beer up here. And that would certainly, you'd want to make sure that was something that you were ready to do if you were going to, to go that route. Um, another question here from Kyle Collins. We, we we talked about the the greatness of the weekend series against the San Diego Padres. There was one thing about it that wasn't so great, and that was Zach Gallen pitching on Sunday, yeah. who just did not really look like the Zach Gallen we've been used to seeing throughout uh, most of his Diamondbacks career. The last few weeks since his return from injury just hasn't seemed like uh, like the same guy. Uh, Kyle says, what do you think is leading to Zach Gallon's lack of usage for the rest of his arsenal? Talking about his breaking stuff. Uh, he's focusing much more on the fastball than last year. And I think that's a big part of his struggle 
Um, and yeah, Kyle's just curious on our thoughts on that. I think that's a great point. Uh, if you've watched Zach Gallon pitch lately, it's definitely been a lot more four seamer, uh, not as much with the cutter, not as much with the breaking stuff, which at least from what I've seen in his career, when he's at his best, it's because his breaking stuff is filthy and no one can hit it. Um, and, and he's just really struggled uh, to do that with consistency ever since, uh, ever since returning from injury. So I'm not sure if this is a matter of him not being as comfortable throwing those pitches or, you know, something with his mechanics that's, that's um, just become an issue since that time. Uh, but Zach Gallon has sort of changed the way that he's, uh, that he's pitching and, and it really hasn't worked at all uh, as we saw on Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, um, definitely a cause for concern. Um, and I, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to sort of look at and just see how those pitches were performing like on their own um, and dig in a little bit there. And, and to my surprise, you know, I expected that, you know, since he's using the breaking pitches less as slider and curveball less often, I thought perhaps um, those pitches had, had been, you know, less effective of late, maybe been having a difficult time generating the same spin on them. Um, I'm not sure from a raw spin rate perspective, but from a movement perspective, He's actually getting more vertical movement, more drop on his slider and his curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, and vertical movement tends to play really well to both like right and left-handed hitters. It's sort of um, platoon proof, I guess you might say, or sort of hedges in that direction. So it doesn't look like, and even when I looked at sort of horizontal movement, I didn't see any red flags. Um, it doesn't look like the pitches themselves are performing really any worse. Um, so that leads me to believe that it's not necessarily an effectiveness thing. It's, it's more of a conscious choice. And then we look back at, you know, kind of the injuries that he's suffered this year. Um, you know, the forearm fracture, uh, the elbow sprain, um, some of those things. And we think about the torque that's put on an elbow to throw a breaking ball. I mean, we think back to when Patrick Corbin was rehabbing from, Tommy John and trying to throw his change up more. So he didn't have to throw that slider all the time. Um, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards that direction of just taking some of the stress um, off of his elbow um, Mm. as a possible explanation for that. So um, I'd love to, I'd love to maybe hear more from Zach or hear more from the team about why that's happening. Um, You certainly, you know, for a guy that really looked like the team's ace um, for the next several years and, um, you sort of hate to see something like that and hope that it's it's something that, you know, if it is physical, it's something that with an off season of rest and recovery um, and maybe a little rehabilitation will come back to the way that it was. But um, this fastball heavy arsenal is not really working, as you noted, and uh, his command just has not been as pinpoint as it has been in years past. And the stuff yeah. itself is not, I mean, the fastball itself is not that exceptional. What made it so exceptional was how well he located it. Um, and when that's not happening, it's, um, the results can get kind of ugly. Yeah. It's felt lately. Like he's kind of missed small in some ways with a, a lot of breaking pitches that are just like kind of slightly outside the zone and, and guys aren't chasing them. And they're just kind of sitting on the fastball and he's just gotten way too much of the strike zone on a lot mm-hmm. of those pitches, if you look through just basically every hit that has that has come against Zach Gallon over the last few weeks, a lot of them are on pitches that are just getting way more of the strike zone 
than you normally expect for, you know, for a guy of his caliber who has established himself as kind of a corners artist uh, over the last couple of years and unfortunately just hasn't really been able to replicate that. Um, moving along here, Sean Ramburan, this is a this is a good one. He says, what do you think would constitute a successful last six weeks of the season? I'll go ahead and, and start off with this one. I think for me, it's all about the young guys. And and maybe, I mean, and I think that's fairly obvious in some ways, but I don't know what else you're what else you're really looking for other than for Josh Rojas and Paven Smith. And especially I have my eyes on Dalton Varsho because I think his ceiling is about as high as anyone uh, out of that group. And just just signs from those guys that they can be part of a winning Diamondbacks team in the future. I think Dalton Varsho is probably the guy I have my eyes on the most because, as I said, he has the ceiling. He had, you know, the prospect pedigree coming in here. And even though the results haven't been great so far, I don't think the Diamondbacks have really given him that much of an opportunity. I'm really excited to see what he's able to turn uh, the rest of these six weeks into uh, just for his career as he continues to get more and more playing time. Seth Beer, I think, will be interesting. Um, I I think that will happen at some point. The 40-man roster issue is uh, is is sort of an issue, and, and we'll see how the team works through that. But I think we'll probably see him before the end of the year. Uh, curious to see what, what he uh, brings to the club here as, as we continue to think about what first base might look like beyond this season. Um, but I have my eyes on Dalton Varsho uh, more than anything else. Jeff, what about you? Um, I think for me, it's them playing 500 baseball down the stretch, which may seem unrealistic, but I really need that to happen for my bold prediction from about six weeks ago to come true. <laughs> um, so. I think they have to be they have to be better than 500 by now, right? I guess they they've, they've won four out of they've won four out of five. So maybe yeah, maybe that would be about right now. It's either plus or minus a game of 500. I need them to be. Um, no, I, I think I think it's I just have to to wave the white flag and uh, your bull prediction is going to come true and mine isn't. And that's OK. Um, I'm with you. I think I think you kind of nailed it on Varsho. I'll, I'll go another um, I'll go another direction. And if, if I'm kind of taking this aside from just, you know, hoping that the youth movement continues to pay dividends, I'm going to hope that Cattell Marte um, shows an uptick in power uh, mm. at the plate and that he definitely stays on the field for like the remainder of the year. Yeah. It's um, a good one. You know, I, I'm scared about, you know, we just talked about with Zach Gallen, um, you know, Cattell Marte is sort of the equivalent, you know, you know, on the position player side. So that's where I'll look. Um, that's where I'll pin my hopes that uh, Cattell Marte stays on the field. And if we can see an uptick and, you know, empower production from him even better. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I think Cattell is sort of your key on offense and Zach Gallen is sort of your key long term on the pitching side of things. And if neither of those guys can stay on the field, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what when some of these younger players turn into. Right. You're going to need those guys to perform day in, day out. Um, I, I was blown away the other day. I was listening to the radio and Greg Schulte mentioned uh, mentioned the numbers. Cattell Marte has missed more than half the season. He's missed 69 games this year. And and it's sort of that hamstring has just continued to creep up for him. And, he, you know, he's a pretty young guy. He's not, you know, as Drupal Cabrera and Cole Calhoun and, you know, some of these guys on the wrong side of 30 who you kind of figure might have an occasional IL stint. Cattell Marte is, 
you know, kind of right in the middle of his career. And you'd certainly hate to see him kind of form a reputation for being the type of guy who just who just can't stay on the field. So I think that's a that's a big one there. Um, beyond that, Jeff, we have I think we made it to the end of all of these questions. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for keeping us busy uh, yeah. here in this episode. This is uh, this is fun. Uh, I know one other thing you wanted to talk about, Jeff, is uh, the Arizona Fall League, which is always an incredible, incredible way to spend a night or a day um, in the months of, of September and October as the Arizona Fall League sort of takes over the Arizona landscape. Um, there's always some, you know, some pretty fun baseball to watch around the corner um, or in those months in, in the Phoenix area. And it's not always just the Diamondbacks. There's pretty much all of the best prospects in baseball, at least the ones that, you know, need the reps that are chosen by their teams uh, are all in the Valley for, uh, for about a month or two. Um, and, and Jeff, it'll be interesting for the Diamondbacks. You know, they certainly have some guys, uh, some guys who were really looking forward to seeing in the long term. Um, they have some guys who, uh, who might be uh, pretty fit for uh, for that role being in the Arizona Fall League to represent the Diamondbacks. Uh, who's on your mind is someone that uh, that we might look to see uh, once that rolls around. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm certainly excited for that. I know we did have some prospect related questions tonight, um, and that's that's where a lot of the focus is going. I think one guy that I'm really excited to see there, who I I'm hopeful will will be there, is um, right handed pitcher Slade Chaconi, um, who was shut down in Hillsborough here recently and placed um, somewhat abruptly on the 60 day injured list. Um, come to find out that it was more about, um, you know, the team needing to sort of free up a roster spot by moving him to the 60 day injured list and that it was going to be difficult to sort of rush him back um, in time. He was dealing with a little bit of elbow discomfort, um, but it's said to be very precautionary and that actually the team would like to get him uh able to sort of make up the missed innings in the Arizona fall league. So um, that would be very, very exciting. I think he is uh, a a pitcher who has a chance to land on some top 100 lists um, this off season. He's really kind of moved forward in, in in a really positive way. Uh, Second rounder from the 20, uh, 2020 draft. Um, No, 2019 draft. I might have that mixed up. Um, it's late here. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but I think along those same lines could be Bryce Jarvis, who is just about uh, as just beginning a rehab assignment. He's been out for a little while after making it up to double a. So, I mean, those are two really big names on the pitching side that I think could be there. Um, yeah, that, that, that alone would be really exciting, but on the position player side, I don't really know. I, I was speaking with someone, um, last week about whether or not Alec Thomas would be, someone that would show up in the AFL Um, in a sense, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of done what you sort of need him to do. We we don't know how this triple A stint's going to go, but you kind of have a good feeling about it. Um, So I don't know if they'll need to, to send him there or not, but he could show up there. Um, I think Geraldo Perdomo could, could uh, spend some time in the Arizona fall league, given that he had sort of some struggles this year. He was actually recently sent from, double uh, a back to the complex uh, for a few weeks uh, to, to iron some things out and has made it back to double a and is, is now all of a sudden hitting quite a bit. Um, 
He's been red hot in his return. And I know a guy who's maybe kind of sneaky and off the radar that you and I, Jesse, were talking about recently. Uh, Dominic Canzone uh, yeah. is someone else who just, I think, flies under the radar in this system, but has hit and hit and hit everywhere he has gone um, and has kind of a sneaky profile. Um, I, I don't know that that's he's really a star in the making, perhaps the big league level, but could be a could be a big leaguer for sure. So um I am really hopeful that, that this fall, this October, November, I'll be able to get out to, to Arizona. It's a great time to be there. Um, I really miss going to the Arizona Fall League. So something I'm really looking forward to. And I know that, you know, we're we're all kind of looking ahead to the future. This will be another chance to see that. Uh, Shikoni was the 2020 draft. Uh, just, oh, uh, just to set that straight. Um, yeah, yeah. It feels like I've heard his name for a while. That was a pretty recent development. Um, I realized we skipped over one question, which is another good one I want to uh, sort of close off with here. Uh, Justin McDermott says, what prospects are having surprising seasons in the farm system this season? Surprisingly positive and negative. Um, I'll, I'll start with one real quick. It kind of comes to mind right away. I know we've talked about him in recent episodes. On the negative side, Geraldo Perdomo has not been great. Um, it's been ever really ever since he had a very brief stint yeah. in the major leagues with the Diamondbacks. They desperately needed someone to play shortstop. They pulled the trigger and called him up. And he really has just not hit at all uh, in double A. That's where he spent the majority of the season. Um and it's yeah, it's been it's been a, a tough year all around for him. We know the defense is there. He's still taking his walks, uh, but the numbers offensively have been pretty rough. I know he had a home run the other day. Things have maybe looked a little better for him of late. But uh, I think Geraldo Perdomo, I mean, he's only 21 years old. It's not like you need this guy in the big leagues right now. He's got right. time. Uh, but this was probably maybe a slight step back for him or just sort of a uh, a slap in the face of reality that maybe Perdomo needs a little bit more time uh, to just sort of figure some things out offensively before he's really ready to be an everyday big league guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. The bat was always going to be a little slow. Yeah. Um, I know the hype sort of got there on him. Um, and I think that's a little bit of the nature of just kind of how he arrived. He sort of showed up stateside and started generating a lot of buzz, but I think the bat still has a way to go. Um, but he showed some positive signs since coming back, as we, we were saying. So, yeah, that that certainly kind of falls in the negative category for me. The Corbin Carroll injury early, I don't think that's going to cause him any problems necessarily for, for starting next year. But he's obviously been out all year. That that stinks. Um, Corbin Martin and J.B. Bukowskis have really had their troubles. That hasn't been great. And there really just haven't been a lot of breakout bats overall. So those yeah. are maybe some of the surprises on the negative side. but. On the positive side, like all of the starting pitching that's come through Hillsborough at some point this year has been amazing. Yeah. Um, Brandon Fad, who has gone from, you know, semi obscurity in a shortened draft last year to um, a guy who has a lot of national buzz. It sounds like the team was getting some interest in him at the trade deadline, et cetera. Um, Blake Walston, Slade Chaconi, Bryce Jarvis, et cetera. All those guys have really had some great years. Um, you know, Alec Thomas, I think kind of making good on his pedigree has been really, really solid to see. Um, and a, a sneaky guy who is really young uh, and is just starting to show up sort of on the radar of folks. And I've kind of noticed um, noticed him here a month, month and a half ago when he, he started his season is um, 18 year old, freshly 18 year old uh, Davison De Los Santos, who 
is mm. now um, playing at Visalia. He just turned 18. He is one of uh, only a handful of guys from the 2019 um, international signing period to be in low A baseball. And that includes some guys like Jason Dominguez, who's one of baseball's top prospects. Um, this kid has um, kind of gone from absolute obscurity. I think he signed for around $200,000. Uh, wasn't really a huge sign. Has really shown up in a big way. Um, has been very quickly promoted, has been brought stateside and is hitting well in Visalia playing against guys that are uh, two, three, four, five years older than him. Um, I've only seen a little bit of him play, but um, it looks like there's some real feel for contact, uh, feel for the barrel there. And he has the kind of frame that makes you think, oh, if this guy can, uh, you know, find the, uh, the barrel, the bat, um, there's enough size and strength that look like they could come here that this could be pretty exciting. So, um, mm. let's just, let's just tuck that away right now. It's, it's easy to get excited <laughs> about 18 year old players who are just showing up on the radar, but Davison De Los Santos is, um, has really been intriguing. Um, that might be my single biggest surprise. I hate to, I hate to throw this out there as something to end the show with, but on the, on the negative side of things, I guess that's where you would have to go. Uh, we got some very unfortunate news about Diamondbacks top prospect Christian Robinson uh, earlier today, just about his whole situation. Um, you could certainly go out, go on and read about it. I won't bore you all with the details, but uh, he made a mistake about um, uh, a little over a year ago, last April, um, and uh, basically was charged with assault of a police officer. Um, he was going through some some mental battles uh, during the shutdown when. Obviously, things were were pretty crazy at that time last year in the middle of COVID and all of those things happening. Uh, but all that to say, Christian Robinson, we basically found out today, um, is sort of in a is sort of in an impossible position uh, where he needs a visa uh, in order to continue, you know, staying in the U.S. and and continuing to play baseball. Uh, but unfortunately, because of uh, because of his track record with that felony that's now on his record, uh, we don't think he'll be able to get that visa in order to continue his playing career. Um, so there's a longer story up on The Athletic, um, which I'd recommend. Zach Buchanan wrote a piece that kind of brings in all of the details. But suffice it to say, Jeff, Christian Robinson is in just a really sad position. And this obviously goes far beyond his playing career, uh, just into his personal life. Uh, he has... Uh, I believe he has an infant son um, and his girlfriend. They're both in Arizona and he sort of is facing the possibility of kind of getting stuck in the Bahamas. And it's not really clear when he could begin his playing career again. And, and you know, probably more importantly, when he could, you know, see sort of this young up and coming family in Arizona that he started. So all the way around, just a really, really sad story. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say on the matter, except, uh, it, it pretty devastating news for, you know, a 21 year old, um, in, in a really, really tough spot right now. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, I think that's well said. And it's, um, it definitely transcends baseball. I think it, it speaks to, um, you know, what the last, uh, 18 or 20 months have been like for some folks. Um, yeah, you know, I definitely think, uh, empathetically about being, in a foreign country, um, being isolated, not being able to go home, not being able to have your family come to you. Um, you know, and just sort of, you know, I think about being that age and, and, and 
you know, I could relate back to being that age myself and sort of the, the mental immaturity that came at that time, the emotional immaturity that came at that time. And, um, yeah, those were under normal circumstances. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I, you know, I, I definitely have a little bit of a soft spot, um, there and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a really a, t- a tough, tough situation. And, um, it does a, you know, we've talked about surprises a lot tonight from Tyler Gilbert to Davis and De Los Santos. And, and here's one for Christian Robinson. It's just a reminder that, you know, baseball, um, nothing is certain, uh, nothing is given and, you know, it can all change really quickly. So, um, I just, you know, I hope that Christian Robinson is someone I think you and I both have, you know, seen and or spoken to in person and interviewed and yeah. um, has always come off really, really well. Um, I know from his time in Hillsboro, he was very highly regarded off the field um, by the staff in Hillsboro and really appreciated as an like upstanding young man. So, yeah, um, yeah, just a really sad situation, something that you hope that just him as a person is is OK going forward. Yeah, yeah, I got to interview him um I guess that was a couple years ago now, summer of 2019, back when the world was normal. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a brief conversation, but Christian Robinson is probably the, I mean, I haven't interviewed that many players so far in my uh, in my sports uh, journalist career, but Christian Robinson is probably the interview that has stuck out the most to me, just how, uh, you know, he and I are around the same age and, and just how uh, well he connected and... Um, just an incredibly, incredibly mature uh, young man just for, uh, you know, like you said, coming all the way over from the Bahamas at age 17 or whatever it was and just everything yeah. he's been through. So certainly wish him all the best moving forward. Hopefully, you know, there's a way out of this. Uh, we'll certainly keep you posted as we hear more on on his situation. Uh, but with that, we're almost to an hour. So we got to get out of here. It's after one in the morning local time, and I'm still sitting in a parking lot in a campsite, and I cannot see <laughs> anything. So on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Uh, but thank you so much for listening here to this 37th episode of the Rattle Podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at, at the Rattle AZ. Uh, we'd love to interact with you there. Uh, you can uh, find our pages personally as well. Mine is at Jesse and Friedman. Jeff's is at Outfield Grass 24. Uh, hit us up if anything else comes to mind. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but with that, thanks again so much for listening. And we'll be back again next week to talk more about the 2021 Arizona Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm.